Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Stephen and I last week before we went off to Fulmut for a time of prayer and a time of fasting. And God really spoke to us in a, in a wonderful way. He encouraged us. He strengthened us. He, he spoke things in, on a personal level to both Stephen and I that really um, have brought us great courage, great strength. You know what it is to encourage to encourage means to put courage in. When somebody is faced with a task or with a battle or with opposition, to encourage them doesn't mean just to say nice things about them. It means to speak in such a way that they feel empowered. And I believe God really did that for Stephen and I this week. But I want to share with you also what I believe God is saying to us as a fellowship. It's a reflection of that which He's already spoken to, to my heart. And it's, it's a very similar word but I want to start sharing this with you the way God revealed it to us through a story from the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. And I'm going to paraphrase it for you so that we don't have to read long portions of Scripture that's pertaining to that. But Joshua chapter 6 and chapter 7 tell, the, tell contrasting stories in the nation of Israel's history. As you know, Joshua was the one appointed by God to take the people of Israel over the Jordan and into the promised land to go and possess and take possession of the land that God had promised to Moses and to the people of Israel. To Abraham, in fact. And so we know the story of Joshua chapter 6 where God says to them, go, go to Jericho, this walled city, and he gives them instructions, march around the city every day with the Ark of the Covenant, don't say a word, every day for six, for six days, and on the seventh day, march, march around the city seven times, and then... Blow your trumpets, give a wild shout, and the walls will come tumbling down, which is exactly what happened. And they had this incredible victory over Jericho. And in the victory, God said to the people, all the spoils, all the gold and the silver, that belongs to me. Don't touch anything that is accursed, but that, all the gold, all the plunder, all the silver, that belongs to me. Don't take it. That's, that's Joshua 6, 18 and 19. So we have this incredible victory that takes place. Jericho is delivered into the hands of Israel. And in verse 7, sorry, chapter 7, verse 1 starts with this. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. So we see that Achan, nobody knew it, Achan secretly took of the gold and of the silver, and hid it away in his tent. Now, it's interesting to note there, it doesn't say that the Lord was angry with Achan. The Lord was angry with the Israelites. And so after this incredible victory, there's another city just down the, down the way called Ai. A-I, I don't know, A-I, I, I don't know how you pronounce it. And they sent some spies to go and check out Ai, and the spies came back, and said, look, this is, this is no point in sending in the whole army. The guys are weary. Two or three thousand men should be able to take this city, no problem. So Joshua agreed. He said, right, three thousand men. He sent them in. And as they went to battle against 
A, I, I. They ended up fleeing. 36 people were slain, and the people of Israel fled. They retreated. They lost a battle. So from a great, miraculous victory where the power of God comes and literally walls tumble down to a, humiliating, uh, to a humiliating, debilitating defeat. And we see Joshua agonizing over this in chapter 7 from verse 6. It says, Joshua ripped his clothes and fell on his face to the ground before the chest of God, the Ark of the Covenant. He and the leaders, throwing dirt on their heads, prostrate until evening. So a whole day of, of this sort of thing before God. And Joshua said, oh, 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 master, God, why did you insist on bringing this people across the Jordan to make us victims of the Amorites, to wipe us out? Why didn't we just settle down on the east side of the Jordan? Oh, master, what can I say after this? After Israel has been run off by its enemies? When the Canaanites and all the others living here get wind of this, they'll gang up on us and make short work of us. And then, how will you keep your reputation? You see, Joshua is now questioning God. So you brought us here. You promised us land to us. You promised to deliver the enemies into our hands. What does this say about you? Why not rather just leave us in the, in the wilderness? Why bring us here to be defeated? So he's having a real moan at God. And God said to Joshua, get up. Why are you groveling? Israel has sinned. They've broken the covenant I commanded them. They've taken forbidden plunder, stolen, and then covered up the theft, squirreling it away with their own stuff. The people of Israel can no longer look their enemies in the eye. They themselves have become plunder. That sentence is huge. They can no longer look their enemies in the eye. You know when somebody has done something that they know you will disapprove of, whether they've lied to you or... Eye contact is a big thing. When you learn body language and you learn to read people, when somebody can't maintain or keep eye contact, you know that they're hiding something. My dog does that. My dog, if she's dug a hole and I come home, she grovels. I know exactly what my dog's been up to just by her body language when I walk through the, through the door. I know. And I have to say, what have you done? Where is it? And I walk around the garden until I eventually find it. This ability to not look your enemies in the eye comes from a deficiency within. Now, what are our enemies? Are they people? No. There are situations when you are able to look somebody in the eye, you look at them in the security of who you are, in the strength of who you are, nothing hidden, nothing to prove. Who are our enemies? What battles are you facing? What are the enemies that are staring you in the face? And are you able to look them in the eye in the authority of Jesus? Or is there something inside you that is undermining that ability, that confidence? Is there something inside you that empowers the other one because you know you've been playing in that camp? He says, I... The people of Israel can no longer look their enemies in the eye. They themselves are plunder. I can't continue with you if you don't rid yourselves of the cursed things. So get started. So you see God saying, my presence, my tangible manifest presence, that miraculous stuff that you saw at Jericho, you're not going to be able to experience that 
unless you sort some things out. You guys have got sin in your midst. So get started. Purify the people. Tell them to get ready tomorrow by purifying yourselves. For this is what God, the God of Israel, says. There are cursed things in the camp. You won't be able to face your enemies until you've gotten rid of the cursed things. So what they did is they divided the nation of Israel up, and little by little they eventually, I don't want to go through the whole process of how they came down to Achan, but finally this, it was revealed that Achan is the one who had stolen gold and silver. And so what they did is they called Achan, they destroyed, they stoned, they destroyed everything that was connected to Achan. So they didn't just, it's not just the man, they destroyed the gold, the silver, the stuff that he, his tents, his cattle, his family, the works. They took it out, they stoned it, they burned it, and they built, they threw stones on it. Apparently there's a memorial still there today of that, a pile of rocks for where they judged the sin, and they dealt with it, and they pulled it out of the camp. And it's amazing that the first verse of chapter 8, God says to Joshua, don't be timid. So again, now he's putting boldness in him. He's encouraging him again. Don't be timid. Don't so much as hesitate. Take all the soldiers with you and go back to Ai. I have turned the king of Ai over to you, this people, and his city, and his land. So in other words, this time God says, now I want you to go, and this time the plunder is not for me, it's for you. The first time the plunder was mine. It was holy. You weren't to touch it. This time, go. And whatever you take, it's for you and for your people. God was busy testing hearts throughout the whole outworking of this victory, of the taking of the nation. This clearly demonstrates, this, this portion of Scripture, what happens when we don't seek God's counsel for our lives and we set out to do things in our own strength, in our own good ideas, in our own schemes, in our own ability. We see the picture of Jericho, where they prayed and waited on God. He gave them a divine strategy. They carried out the instruction, and supernatural things happened that man could never do. And then the, next, the very next breath, we see how man decided, okay, these guys are not so big. This is just what we'll do. We don't counsel God. We don't ask for his advice. We just go ahead and do it. And there's mess. There's failure. God's hand had departed from them. It also shows how weak we become when we violate our own consciences. We can't look our enemies in the eye. And it leads to defeated, vulnerable lives. God spoke to us very clearly while we were away about the word consecration. And I want you to understand this morning, I have already said, the, the analogy that we've used here is there was sin in the camp. And if there is sin in the camp, we need to deal with that, each one of us, in our own lives. But the word certainly wasn't aimed, the word, the way God ministered it to us, it wasn't God saying to us, there is sin in your camp. God was calling us to a higher level of consecration, calling us not to just carry on in our own way, in our own way of thinking, in our own abilities, but a higher level of dedication and consecration to Him. Let me break the word consecrate down to you. The first one is con. Con means together with. And the second part of the word comes from the word sacred. 
So when you put together with the sacred thing, when you, when you add those two together, you get the word consecrate, which means to dedicate, to anoint, to make holy, to declare as sacred. You separate it from all that is normal and you make it holy, set apart. It is the process of doing that. It means dedicated or devoted as sacred. Consecration. Now, you also understand a very similar word. It's the word conscription. What is conscription? It's when you live in a country where at a certain age, men have to go and serve at least one or two or three years in the military. It's called conscription. You can't get out of it unless with very special circumstances. You have to go and be set apart for a period of time for a specific purpose, for a specific function. To, to, to join the armed forces, to be trained, to be equipped, and to fight and defend your country. To be ready at a, at a, at the, for the call, if and whenever it may come. So you understand conscription. And I want to say to you, in the kingdom of God, consecration is much like that. It's setting ourselves apart from the world. What does that mean? The things of this world, the cares of this world, the things that, that keep us so entwined with the affairs of this world, the worries, the anxieties, the busyness. And let's be honest and real, folks. It's a busy, busy world out there. Things are running at 100 miles an hour. We, with our devices, I know I spoke about it last week, we are more connected than we have ever been, and yet at the same time, because of that, we're so much less dependent on God than we've ever been. We don't need God anymore. If I want to know something, I just go and Google it. I don't need to pray. I don't need to wait on him. I can get a quick answer to anything. Everything's a quick fix these days. And unfortunately, the kingdom of God just doesn't work that way. The process of sanctification and consecration is, like I said, it's a process and it takes time. I read a scripture this morning during worship, and I want to read it again. It's from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. And it says, Therefore... Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Let's just pause there for a moment. Where is Peter clearly pointing us to? I mean, this isn't rocket science. He said, desire, hunger for, long for, go after the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Folks, churches today, many of them, not all of them, and I don't want to be critical of the church in general, but so many believers come to a place where they are born again, they have an experience with Jesus, where they are saved, thoroughly cleansed, citizens of the kingdom of God, but they have never, ever grown in their faith. Their faith has never extended beyond what can God do for me. They're not influencers within their sphere of influence where God has placed them. They're not moving forward in their faith for a kingdom cause or a kingdom purpose. They don't experience the presence of God or the miraculous power of God ever. They've not pressed into that which causes growth of our faith. Let's carry on. Verse 3. If indeed you've tested that the Lord is gracious, coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, talking about Jesus, you also, 
as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Now, that just pause for a moment there. We're not just talking about the individual here. In the same way that, when, that, that an individual's sin affected the entire nation of Israel that led to their defeat in a battle and cost them 36 lives, in the same way, in the same pattern, the same understanding, God is saying here that this whole this endeavor is not that you are an individual that God exists to meet your needs and God exists to, to bless you. No, you are an individual who grows and is being built in to this larger body of Christ called the church. It says you are being, you also as living stones being built up into a spiritual house. What is a house? It is a place where you, your presence resides. Amen? Now, what is the church? It's the house of God. Not a physical building, but it's where the presence of God resides. And, the God's, and God's saying, seek me, get into the Word, because I'm building you and I'm building you into myself and into one another so that my presence can abide there. What is the purpose? It's the presence. What has God been after from the very beginning? That he would dwell among his people and have intimate, tangible fellowship with them. That was wrecked in the Garden of Eden. We saw how here, even in this previous scripture, when the battle didn't go right, where did they run to? They ran to the ark. They fell down face, prostrate before the Lord in repentance. Where? On the, to the symbol that represented the presence of God. He says, you are a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says this, but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Let's pause for a moment. I'm sure all of you have some special things in your house. A dish that no one is allowed to touch or eat out of. I have special glasses. My wife doesn't let me use them unless we have guests. Because they're special glasses. Our dishwasher happens to stain glasses. So we've got our everyday glasses. And for me, the biggest treat of having guests is I get to use the special glasses. I love them. They're very fine, and I, I really enjoy drinking whatever it is out of those glasses. They're special. They're not for every day. They're set apart. They're set apart from the mundane. They're set apart from that which is casual unto something that is special, that is unique. And I want to say to you today, folks, that you are God's special people. And his desire is to set you apart from that which is common, that which is the status quo, that which is the norm around you and the way the world does things, because he wants to draw you deeper into himself and into who he is. A holy nation that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, glorious, wondrous light. Having read that now, the word that God spoke earlier on, I didn't realize how it lined up. 
when God said to us during worship, step out of the shadows, step into the light. Why? Because I want to shine myself on you. But in order to do that, there is a stepping out that needs to take place, a separation from that needs to take place. A chosen generation to manifest his presence, a royal priesthood to minister to the Lord, and a holy nation set apart for sacred use. Folks, we cannot be used for sacred things if we are not living sacred lives, set apart lives. Timothy says it this way. 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21. I'll read from the message. In a well-furnished kitchen, there are not only crystal goblets and silver platters, but waste cans and compost buckets. Some containers used to serve fine meals, others to take out the garbage. Become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. What a lovely way of putting it. Very simple though, isn't it? And he calls us to become that kind of container. Become a vessel of gold. Become a vessel of silver. Folks, what makes gold and silver precious is not just its rarity, but also the process that it goes through to be refined to be molded, to be shaped. God wants to present us as vessels for honor, not as vessels of dishonor. Vessels that have been molded and shaped in the fire of His presence, because that's where things happen. That's where things happen, when the heat is turned up. That which is true comes to the surface. That which is real comes to the surface. I heard a speaker recently say, there's, a stuff, there's, there's things called fool's gold. Have you heard of that? It looks like gold, but it's not. And his, his point was, all that glitters isn't necessarily gold. Gold is something that is refined. Now, what does gold refer to in the sense of what I'm talking about? I'm talking about character. I'm talking about our hearts and our souls being shaped and molded by the presence of God, perhaps through the fire of our current circumstances, where we yield and allow God to mold us and refine us. How do you refine something? You refine something by identifying the impurities and separating them from the real thing. Right? Where does that refining happen? It happens in the place where the heat is administered. It happens in the presence of God. When I set myself apart to seek the Lord, when I give myself to His Word, what's going to happen? That Word is going to begin refining me like a fire. It's going to cause the junk in my life, that which, makes which, that which is pure, the holiness of God, the Spirit of God that lives within me, that which defiles that, that which corrupts that, that which perverts that, my motives, my insecurities, my sinful desires, the lust of my flesh, all of that comes up so that I can skim it off the top and remove it off my life, repent of it. 1 Peter 1, verse 13 to 16 says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts in ignorance. 
In other words, don't just give in to any whim that comes into your heart. Don't just continue the way you've always done things, the former ways. He's saying reconsider your ways. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now I want you to understand something, church. Look at me for a moment. When God says to you, be holy, he's saying to you, I want you to be who I have made you to be. Step into who I have made you to be. It's a call. Be holy. I always used to hear that as this mark that I need to attain. As this new things, now I have to do more to be holy. What more must I do? Folks, none, none of us can be holy apart from Jesus. None of us. He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. So when God says to you, be holy, he's saying, be who I've made you to be. Step out of that which defiles, which limits, which, make, which makes you unable to look at your situation in the eye. Step out of that. Set yourself apart and come and listen to me. And I will speak. I will reveal things. I will show you if there is an aching in your heart. Put it this way. I will show you what your heart's really aching for. And I will give you my word, which is life and truth. God's call is for us as his people to be the carriers and the conduits of his presence, manifesting his kingdom wherever we go, individually and corporately. Isn't that exactly what, what this is all about? That we are a family on a journey. What is the journey? It's a journey of consecration, a journey of sanctification to become more like Christ. Why? So that we can share his kingdom by expressing the essence of who he is. Love. The more we conform to his image, the more we step into the holiness that he has made for us and calls us into, the more effective we are in doing that. Gold is not found lying around on the surface. Gold is something that needs to be dug out. You have to mine it. It's found deep. We have some of the deepest shafts in the world in our country where, where they go deep and they find something that's called a vein of gold. When, when gold settles under the earth, it's not just random rocks in random places. There are veins of it, strata, within, within the rocks and within the sediments as it's settled. And when you find a vein of gold, you, when you find gold, you know there's probably a vein there and there's more on that level. And maybe you've plumbed to a certain depth and you've found a layer of gold. Maybe God has ministered his gold and his, to, into your life already. Do you understand what I mean? Revelation knowledge, an experience of who God is. God is saying to us, I want you to go deeper. There is more there that I want you to enter into. But it's not on the surface, and it does, we don't just stumble across it. It takes a pursuit. It takes concerted effort. It takes a decision to set myself apart for this thing. Do you remember I spoke to you about conscription? I've got to set myself apart to be trained and equipped and empowered for this thing. 
And I believe the word of the Lord to us as, as a fellowship in this time and season is, I am calling you apart. Come, because there's veins of gold that I want to lead you into. But it doesn't just happen. It takes concerted effort. It takes time set aside. It takes time to come. And as he said it to us through Peter, desire the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. God promises us in the book of Jeremiah 29, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, they are, says the Lord, they are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. We love that scripture, right? Wonderful. Thank you, God, for these awesome thoughts that you think about me. And then he says, though, you see, the scripture doesn't just end there. Listen, for God to think it is not enough. You have to know what his thoughts and plans are for you. So he goes on to say, then you will call upon me. Say, call upon me. And go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me, and you will search for me, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You will seek me, and you will find me, he promises, when you search for me with all of your heart. Do you remember what we spoke about last week? We spoke about wow. Remember the seven stages of wow? It's not enough for the information. Information is not enough. We have to get to the point of implementation where we take that which God has already spoken to us and we begin to work with it and allow it to refine our hearts and lives. Folks, do you hear the heart of what God is saying? It's, it's not a, the call of consecration that God is giving us. It's not like a rebuke of telling you that you're wrong, that you're naughty, that you're messed up in things you shouldn't be. God doesn't discipline that way. When God disciplines, when God calls us out of something, it's into something far more glorious. And there's a call on the heart of God saying, I want you to set yourself apart. It's going to cost you some TV time. It's going to cost you some sleep. It's going to cost you some food. It's going to cost you some affections. Even some family time. But will you come and be with me? Will you let me come and breathe over you as you give me room to work? in your heart and in your life. I'm going to set you on fire, says the Lord, and I'm going to send you in the power of my Spirit. Would you stand with me, please? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.